Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 11.05 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. <clears throat> it is the 11th day of December 2023, and this is episode 831 of Bitcoin And. Going to try to keep it a little bit short today, so we're going to get right on into it. $333 million worth of crypto longs have been liquidated as Bitcoin tumbles below $43,000. You knew it was coming, or at least Will Clemente knew it was coming. He had warned about this a couple of, uh, actually sometime last week, he had mentioned something about uh, <clears throat> that we've had several weeks in a row of, you know, basically up only, and that a correction was due, and welcome to the correction, here it is. So it's, this shit started last night, Sunday, now here it is, everybody wakes up Monday morning and it's like, oh, it's like a train wreck. No, it's not. Because at one point or another, the people that are playing the long game, and I and I don't mean spot long, which means you buy the underlying asset, you hold it in cold storage. I'm not talking about those longs. I'm talking about futures contracts. You would think that by this time, people would have figured it out. You don't play this game. But no, no, no. Nobody has apparently figured it out. Nobody at least that plays the futures contract long game. Because they all just got... BFTD. So they're blown out. I kind of figured last night that the shorts would be next, that they would, what they would do is whoever's doing this game is that they would blow the longs out by tanking the price, right? Yeah. Am I talking about price manipulation? Yeah, kind of, but it's not really manipulation. Let me, let me get to that here in a second. Um, but then after the longs get blown out, People are going to go, oh, dude, we'll pick up some shorts here, man. And then all of a sudden they buy it all back and then the shorts get blown out. It is a hell of a way to make a lot of money really quickly. Now the manipulation part, is it manipulation? Yes and no. Uh, manipulation in insofar as the sort of the styles that I'm thinking about in, in legacy, you know, Wall Street and financial markets that's a completely captured market, but we live in a kind of a different world. Let me explain. So much, so much of the Bitcoin that has been generated by mining since 2009, January 3rd, 2009, first block ever produced, right? So much of that is in cold storage. Something like you know, 70% of all the Bitcoin, which is most of the Bitcoin that's actually been produced in the world, has not moved in like a year. That's a lot of Bitcoin that's not on exchanges. It's not being moved to exchanges or from exchanges. And yet, what we have is what's left over, all right? The major, like almost the majority of what's left over that's not in cold storage that hasn't been moving 
is indeed on exchanges. And that is what seems to be setting the price. I'm not certain about that. Okay. I I just have this sneaky gut feeling that the only real way that a market gets its signal is by who's trading what. Yet we have 70, well, like the great 70% of of the majority of the Bitcoin hasn't moved in a year. So that's not available to exchanges. So the only way price signal occurs at this point is what is actually actively being traded. Does that sound like that is a working proposition for what Bitcoin is? My answer is actually no. That we're kind of getting screwed by exchanges just because of their mere existence. Not that they're manipulating anything. It's just that their mere existence that allows the only price signals to actually shine through is what's being traded. But the majority of the Bitcoin is not being traded. It's a, you know, and I know this shit has occurred in different markets, but I've never thought about it. I've been thinking about this quite a bit lately for the like, I don't know, last few months, actually probably about a year. And I've been thinking about it in this way, just saying, well, if the only market signals that we're getting for the price of a good is determined by the very few people that are actively trading that particular good, then how the hell are we getting any kind of decent price signal at all? And the answer for me is that we're not. Nothing is priced in, ladies and gentlemen, but yet the bulls on the future, the, the future bulls, they all just got their pants ripped off. So let's get into what exactly happened by Decrypt.co. <clears throat> the price of Bitcoin slumped below $43,000 in the early hours of Monday morning. It's even below that, guys. All but erasing last week's gains and causing almost $390 million in liquidations across the crypto futures market in the past 24 hours. At the time of writing, is that what it says? At the time of publication, Bitcoin is trading at around $42,400. It's even lower than that right now. Down 3% in the past 24 hours, having dipped to as low as $41,800. It's lower than that right now. Of the nearly $402 million in liquidated crypto options over the past day, just over $345 million of those were long positions with over $260 million in the past hour. In the past hour according to data from CoinGlass. Over 109,000 idiot traders have been liquidated over the past 24 hours. So pausing to say 109,000 people on the face of this planet are actively getting their shorts ripped off, and those are the price signals that we get for the price of Bitcoin. Because most of the Bitcoin, as I said, isn't moving. But these 109,000 assholes, yeah, they're, they're the ones that are giving signal. And they got the wrong signal themselves anyway of the total liquidations. In the past 24 hours, Bitcoin saw over $103 million in liquidations itself, of which $89 million were long positions. Bitcoin's overnight slump puts a bump in the road of the past week's crypto market rally with the global crypto market cap of all cryptocurrencies dropping by a mere 3.1% over the past 24 hours to $165 trillion. So there's sort of, that's sort of the context that we're dealing with today. We'll, we'll talk about why when we do the market report. All right. So let's get in, let's, let's just understand that this is our Monday morning. 
right now. And for some of you, it's clearly the afternoon. Uh, let's move on to this one. United Kingdom asset manager M and G are investing $20 million in a Bitcoin derivatives exchange. Kid Warp, you know what that means. Derivatives of Bitcoin. Trading on the open market. More price signals that are, in fact, 100% false. As There's no signal here. This is a bullshit derivative product. But yet, yet, the UK... That the MNG is investing $20 million to do it. Gareth Jenkins, Cointelegraph, the investment arm of United Kingdom based pension fund, pension fund, mind you, a pension fund, MNG has invested $20 million in the country's very first regulated Bitcoin derivatives exchange, Global Futures and Options Holding. Ticker symbol is GFOX. <laughs> <laughs> Go fuck off. An announcement from MNG and GFOX outlined the investment details, which form part of the $30 million Series B funding round for the derivatives exchange. The platform will initially offer clearing of Bitcoin indexed futures and options contracts. The move provides a platform for traditional finance institutions to gain exposure to various cryptocurrency derivative investment products. Go fuck off is set to become a financial conduct authority regulated and centrally cleared trading platform for crypto derivatives. The investment capital stems from M&G's crossover strategy, which was seeded from a Series B funding round that draws from the $138 billion Prudential with Profits Fund. The crossover strategy is aimed at patient growth equity for fast-growing private companies. The funding aims to create a hub for trading and clearing cryptocurrency derivatives and fostering innovation in the sector. Bullshit. Part of the investment sees MNG join the board of GFOX. A statement from MNG portfolio manager, Jeremy Punnett, highlighted the potential for the UK and London to become leading destinations, leading freaking destinations for cryptocurrency technology and investment. Quote, The lack of regulated trading venues is materially hampering the growth of the digital currency trading market, Pundit added. (laughs) GFOX CEO Arnab Sen added that evolving UK and European regulations will help cryptocurrencies edge their way into mainstream finance offerings. Still, this eventually depends on integrating traditional market structures to address perceived risks associated with the emerging asset class. Quote, however... Building a regulated financial market ecosystem is complex, time-consuming, and expensive. And the pitfalls of taking shortcuts are now clear for all to see. The long-term viability of digital assets and the digitization of real tangible assets requires careful collaboration between traditional market participants and modern innovators, Sen said. As investors continue to show interest in cryptocurrencies, the FCA recently issued additional guidelines to industry service providers to ensure compliance with UK crypto asset promotion rules. Some operators have opted to leave the country, while others have endeavored to meet strict requirements to advertise in the United Kingdom. All right, so United Kingdom, you can't advertise your crypto product. But here we have M&G, who is going to, you know, sink 20, what, million dollars to fund this circus. And this is never going to end. This is never going to end. There's just going to be product after product after product. And 
all of them will hold no Bitcoin at all. It will just be derivative after derivative after derivative. And I always thought that when I was sitting in calculus, that I was never going to use math. And yet here I am in the middle of all of this, now understanding what a derivative actually is. It ain't the thing. It never was. It's a bet on something that that thing either is or is not going to do. How the hell is that even a price signal? And by the way, even just price signal aside, does it produce anything? It can own derivatives can only produce wealth if somebody loses their wealth. That's the only way. So it doesn't actually produce wealth. All derivative products, the only thing they do is transfer money from the stupid to the unethical. That's it. That's all a derivative product does. It produces no goods or services. It doesn't do anything. And yet the world's financial health revolves around derivative products, whether you're in Bitcoin or not. And it's just a sad state of affairs, honestly. Hopefully one of these days we'll be able to get out of this shit, but not before we boil off all the oceans. Because Bitcoin Magazine has an answer to the evaporated swimming pools that are plaguing Americans and the rest of the world. Let's get into it. How Bitcoin improves water abundance in water-scarce nations. (laughs) I hope they don't screw this one up. Daniel Batten, please do me proud. He's writing it. The Bitcoin uses fossil fuels argument has been increasingly breaking down in the face of new data from Bloomberg Intelligence showing that the network is, in fact, the most sustainable energy-backed industry on the planet, with 53% energy coming from sustainable sources. In response to this news, A new attack vector has emerged. Bitcoin uses too much water. (laughs) Apparently, if Bitcoin uses fossil fuels as its energy source, it is bad. But if it uses hydro, it's also bad. It's the same double blind that 17th century witch hunters used to determine whether a woman was a witch. Quote, throw her in the water. If she can swim, she's a witch, so therefore execute her. If she drowns and cannot swim, that proves she's not a witch, but she's still dead. Problem solved either way, because most people that got accused of being a witch, they were women that people just didn't like. They just didn't like them. So they got rid of them. Either way, they were dead, whatever. And it is, of course, a ridiculous argument that can be leveled against any user of electricity that you feel like maligning. As for the method that DeVries, the study's author, uses, measuring water use per transaction, Cambridge has already debunked the use of energy per transaction, and by extension, any resource on a per-transaction basis as not a meaningful metric. But this didn't stop a whole host of journalists from picking up the study. As I waded through the symphony of off-tune journalism, it got me curious. What is the real story with Bitcoin and water? So I decided to do some research. Where does actual water scarcity exist? First, let's understand which nations suffer the most from water scarcity. 
A quick Google search told me that 12 of 17 most water-stressed nations in the world live in the Middle East or North Africa. Of course, it makes complete sense to me. Intrigued, I inquired further as to how these countries countered this water scarcity, and it turns out the situation is quite dire. 60% of these nations live under severe water stress. Scientists expect this to worsen as the climate warms. Oh, God, for God's sakes. In the last 30 years, rainfall has dropped by 16.7%. Many of these nations now use more water than they receive in rainfall. Wealthier countries, such as the UAE, use desalinization to solve the issue. However, desalinization is expensive and energy-intensive. It also has a host of environmental issues, not least of which is the fact that the UAE... 70% of that energy comes from, you guessed it, natural gas, a fossil fuel. And according to the nation national news, the desalination plants are vital if the world is to have enough water to drink. Some estimates suggest that by 2030, there will be a 40% gap between water supply and demand. There is an increasing reliance on desalinization across the world and already 53% of all desalinization worldwide happens in the Middle East. Excuse me. Efforts are afoot to power desalinization plants increasingly, increasingly with renewable energy. However, such projects will take time. New technology will have to be developed and new solar capacity will have to be built. Dr. Muhammad Wakil Shazad, a senior lecturer at Northumbria University in the UK, who has developed a patented desalination system, confirmed this saying, quote, We're working to hybridize desalination systems with renewables, wind, wave, and solar. We have several prototypes in the laboratory, he said. These solar farms can be used to offer an alternative to burning natural gas to power desalination plants. Critically, the UAE plans a massive solar build-out in its vast sunny deserts. The country's biggest solar project will become one of the world's largest at 5 gigawatts by 2030. Jaron Melura, I can't pronounce that name, Luxor, comments that these solar installations will undoubtedly, periodically, generate vast amounts of excess electricity. Soaking up and being a buyer for excess solar-powered electricity is one of the two areas where Bitcoin mining can help provide solutions to water scarcity. According to this guy whose last name I can't pronounce, being location agnostic and in uh, and interruptible electricity consumers, Bitcoin miners can set up operations directly at these solar farms to offtake and monetize this otherwise wasted electricity. A recent study from Cornell University confirmed Bitcoin mining's ability to make solar operators more profitable, which in turn leads to faster scale up of solar operations. By accelerating the build-out of new solar energy capacity, Bitcoin mining can help UAE to transition to renewably-powered desalination, meaning that the UAE can meet its water security goals without endangering its emission reduction goals. As reported by CNBC, desalination is highly energy-intensive. Oh, God forbid. Any efficiency gains in operating costs therefore means that water which can be desalinated for the same operating cost. This is why UAE water management, whether through desalination or underground aquifers, is on a constant vigil to increase efficiency of operations. This is where an exciting and pioneering Bitcoin mining project is already underway. 
Marathon Digital Holdings has recently partnered with Zero2. Normally, heat is used directly for desalination. But Zero2 and Marathon realized that almost 100% of the energy used by Bitcoin mining rigs is transferred into heat energy. Now, if that heat can be recycled, it can be reused. And that recycled heat is now being used for water desalination. The only difference is that in the meantime, the desalination facility is earning revenue from mining Bitcoin, meaning that their water per dollar ratio improves. More water can be desalinated for the same net cost. An incredible achievement. Marathon CEO Fred Thiel explains that for the water desalination facility, Bitcoin mining, quote, allows them to continue to run the energy generation profitably so that they can use the heat offtake to make desalinated water. In summary, places in the world where water is most scarce, becoming even scarcer, it's becoming in the Middle East. For these nations, desalination is an ideal solution, which is why 53% of all desalination now occurs in the Middle East. However, desalination is carbon intensive and energy intensive. Bitcoin mining helps address both. Firstly, it helps the carbon intensity by making Middle East solar deployments more profitable by being a buyer for energy that otherwise would have been wasted. And secondly, it makes desalination plants more profitable by allowing them to generate Bitcoin and use waste heat from ASICs for desalination, which means these plants can profitably desalinate more water. Far from being a source of concern to global water usage, Bitcoin is indeed helping the places in the world where water is scarcest to secure their water security profitably without jeopardizing their emission targets, something no other technology can currently do. All right, so there you go. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of climate hysteria. I, I don't think it's healthy for humans to run around thinking that we're all going to die because I've been dealing with this since the 1970s. At the end of the 1970s, you know what we had? We had a hole in the ozone layer and it was going to kill us all. It was going to wipe us all out if we didn't get rid of the CFCs that were in aerosol cans. It was all the aerosol cans, right? We were all going to die. It was going to be a a miserable death. That's the first time that I really was exposed to quote unquote climate hysteria. It wasn't good then. It wasn't good throughout the 80s, the 90s. We had global cooling and then we had global warming and now we're in climate change. And it's just, it's the same bullshit message repackaged again and again and again. Now through it all, I still think that we probably need to clean up the planet, but I'm talking from a chemistry standpoint, not not really anything else. I also believe that a shit ton of carbon can be pulled out of the atmosphere and put into the soil, but not by these weird compressors and pipelines that just stack it underground. No, I'm actually talking about turning this shit into charcoal and putting it in the soil, which is where the shit belongs. Not only does it belong there, when it's there, it does a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I've got somewhere, I've got an episode that I think I hit on biochar. Let me uh, see if I can get a hold of it. Uh, let's see. I got a lot of books about biochar. Let's see if I've actually got an episode around here that actually has it. Uh, maybe not. I know I did one. I know I did a whole episode on biochar and I cannot remember the episode uh, number for it, but somewhere 
Um, I'm just, if for those of you who are audio only and not seeing what I'm doing on the screen, I'm actually searching for, no, I guess maybe I didn't. I know, I know I did. And, and I just don't know the number of it. In either event, you want this stuff in the soil. You want hard, solid charcoal in your soil. And I ain't talking about Kingsford. Don't do that. It's still got a lot of, it's still got a lot of air, like aromatics and other hydrocarbons that, that are not really good for the soil. It has to literally be just charcoal without anything but basically carbon, right? I won't get into why it's good for the soil. Just again, it's like one of those things, trust me. But of course, we're all, you know, verify, don't trust. But in this case, you're going to have to trust me because I can't say anything more on it. Now, that doesn't mean that I hate this kind of thing. That I, you know, I'm, that I'm having a problem with Daniel Batten writing this thing up about desalination. But what I had wished that he had said was a little bit more about how that waste heat is actually being harvested. Because the way that I see it is that you just somehow or another, you get the heat and you pre-warm the water, the seawater that's going through pipes to as maximal as a temperature as you can get to carry this heat away. And then that hot water is already up to temperature to be distilled because you kind of need to heat this water up. In fact, you kind of need to boil it to get the steam off and leave the salt behind. That's one of the ways that this actually works. But he didn't really say anything about how the waste heat was being harvested. And we're at this weird time Uh, where because of the climate hysteria, one of the only good things about the climate hysteria is that it is actually going to drive people to figure out how to use waste heat. And I'm a permaculturist. If If it is waste from a system, from a permaculture standpoint, by definition, that waste from one system is the input feedstock for another system. And if you don't think that way, we just end up with waste stream after waste stream after waste stream. And it doesn't take too much thought to actually get the waste of one system to feed the other system. That's what I'm saying. And I wish he would have kind of gone through, you know, the parameters of exactly how the waste heat was being harvested. But, you know, he he didn't. All right. The United States Fed 2024 rate cut could prove a perfect catalyst for the BTC. Having Cointelegraph, Prashant Jha is going to tell us about this one. Goldman Sachs, the second largest investment bank in the world, has predicted that the United States Federal Reserve would cut interest rates twice in the next two years, starting as early as the third quarter of 2024. Interest rates have a strong correlation to investors' risk appetite. Goldman Sachs predicted the first red Fed rate cut by December of 2024, but this forecast has been brought forward to Q3 of 2024 due to cooling inflation, according to Reuters reporting on December the 11th. The lender expects the two Fed cuts to bring interest rates to 4.875% by the end of 2024, rather than its previous forecast of 5.13%. The change comes as data released on December the 8th showed stronger than expected U.S. labor markets resulting after the U.S. Labor Department's monthly job report said that the unemployment rate fell 
to 3.7% from 3.9% in October, which I call complete bullshit on, but whatever. A report by Reuters cited traders saying that a more robust labor market performance won't deter the Fed from cutting interest rates. They expect the first cut to come quarter one of this coming year, 2024, two quarters earlier than Goldman Sachs forecast. An excerpt from the Sachs note on Fed interest rate cuts reads, quote, healthy growth in labor market data suggests that insurance cuts are not imminent, but the better inflation news does suggest that normalization cuts could come a bit earlier, end quote. The Fed funds rate is determined by the Federal Open Market Committee and serves as a guide for lending by U.S. banks. When Fed interest rates drop, borrowing becomes cheaper, fostering an increased appetite for risk-taking among economic and financial market traders, including cryptocurrencies. An increase in interest rates is often used to contain inflation and reduce the purchasing power of fiat currencies, deterring capital flow into the crypto market, as well as other markets. So that's essentially what they're saying. They're saying that they're going to cut by, you know, two times. And and that is going to coincide with pretty much after the halving. So we're looking at March, April for the 2024 halving this year. So we'll see what we got. January, February, March, April. So by the end of the first quarter of 2024, or the beginning of the quarter two of 2024 is right around when the halving occurs. Here, they're actually talking about these rate cuts coming, one of them at least coming in the first quarter of of next year. And then the second one coming in quarter two or quarter three, which would be right after the halving. So if you got a rate cut right before the halving, and then we see the effects of the halving because it's never priced in. And then they rate cut again on the other side of the halving, then you could see a situation where people start doing stupid shit like mortgaging their house to buy Dogecoin. You know, that's, that's what happened before. Do you know how many people I saw in Reddit saying that they took their fourth mortgage out on their house and they went all in? Even the guys that said that they went on all in on Bitcoin, I was like, that's a stupid thing to do. Just because you have low interest rates does not mitigate the risk. Sure, I guess it makes it a little bit, you know, easier to easier to think about not getting your pants pulled down around your ankles, but it doesn't stop you getting your pants pulled down around your ankles. Don't do this shit. Don't fall into this crap. All right? Just just the easy way out is this. You buy Bitcoin and then you hold Bitcoin. But you might, you might, considering that the cir- the the circus world is getting so bad in the West, you might consider cutting some of that Bitcoin loose and moving down to El Salvador. If you got a million dollars worth of Bitcoin or Tether, that is, decrypt, Matt DeSalvo has it. <clears throat> if you got a million dollars in Bitcoin or Tether, well, El Salvador will give you a freedom visa. El Salvador's government has announced a visa program offering foreigners a passport and residency if they invest $1 million in Bitcoin or Tether into the Central American country. The Freedom Visa program is for high net worth individuals because us plebs suck all around the world or investors who want to be part of a commitment to building the country of the future. Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele also posted the announcement on X. Oh God, I said it. Never mind. Posted it on Twitter on Thursday. 
The program is in partnership with Tether, the company behind the stablecoin USDT. Yeah, we'll get into that one here in a second. You know what's coming. The government's website reads, quote, El Salvador has been reborn as the land of economic liberty, but this is just the beginning. Come help us build the future you want to see, but only if you got a million dollars, because otherwise you suck ass. El Salvador's idea of what is known as a golden visa program. Countries around the world, such as Spain, Portugal, Ireland, they reward people with visas for making generous investments. Again, because plebs suck, we're not going to be able to take part of this. Uh, Stablecoin issuer Tether on Thursday said that the program would help establish El Salvador as a dynamic global center for cutting-edge tech and financial innovation. The company's USDT product is the most top-traded cryptocurrency in the world, and it's pegged to the U.S. dollar, making it a digital token widely used by traders. Tether, 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 more Tether, Tether, Tether. Let's see. Okay, here we go. Back into the Visa plan. The plan will work by inviting 1,000 applicants per year to make a $1 million crypto donation to the nation, which will be used for economic development, cultural enrichment, and social programs meant to achieve maximum economic development and rebirth. I'm already not liking this at all. Applicants will then be rewarded with a passport and residency. Let's call it a bribe. El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender. Yes, we know. Blah, blah, blah. More about the president. Yada, yada, yada. Okay, so that's really what you need to know. They're bribing people, and it's okay. I mean, it's it's not like this isn't done, you know, but they're definitely bribing people. However, I remember El Salvador was doing this before, yet it wasn't for a million dollars. I think it was for one Bitcoin. I think. I'm not exactly sure. Somebody might have to go back and correct me on that. But now all of a sudden they've got this new program, and they don't want you in their country unless you got a million dollars. A million dollars. See, it's shit like this that I don't like. It's it, it just, honestly, my gut feeling here is that meet the new boss, same as the old boss. And I still have high hopes for Naib Bukele. I really do. But this kind of shit, I don't know, man. I don't like it. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities energy got oil is up slightly 0.13% to $71.32. Brent North Sea is up almost a quarter of a point to $76.03. Natural gas is oh shit, down five and a half percent to $2.44. Gasoline down a quarter, $2.04 a gallon. I still have not seen it that cheap anywhere close to me. Gold taking a beating today along with the rest of the shiny metal rocks, almost a full point to the downside and is now back below $2,000 an ounce after its glorious performance to 2187 or whatever it was that Peter Schiff was getting his rocks off of rocks off on with whatever silver down a half point platinum down a quarter copper down 1.16% but palladium is up almost two full points uh, futures for agriculture fully mixed today. Biggest loser is sugar, three and a half to the downside. Biggest winner is going to be coffee, which is almost four full points to the upside. Uh, live cattle is up over a point. Lean hogs are down a third. Feeder cattle up 1.21%. We're all saved because the indices and the financial markets are all in the green today. The Dow is up a third of a point. 
S&P is up a third of a point. NASDAQ is up 0.82%. And the S&P mini is up two thirds of a point. Bonds, however, eh, sort of mixed on what what their yields are doing. Mostly everything is in the red. Uh, and mo- like most of the bonds that actually, you know, make a difference, like the 30 year, 10 year, 20 year, seven year, all of their yields have actually fallen today. So that, I don't know if that's good news or not, honestly, but the ice, the dollar index is sitting at 104.07 after a slight rise to the upside. So the dollar gaining a little bit of traction around the world, $40,871. And 37 cents. That's 40871.37 is the price of Bitcoin that I'm getting off of bitinfocharts.com right now. Average transaction value is 0.4 BTC. Median transaction values are $20.72, which means that ordinals are seriously jamming shit up. <clears throat> Nine minutes and 32 seconds is the block time right now. 0.86 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 130. taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours with an 8.64% drop in hash rate. We're at 473.2 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin as normal, 9.3 United States pennies. 792, nope, just flipped, $793 billion is Bitcoin's market cap. That's 5.92% of gold's market cap. You can now only purchase 20.5 ounces of shiny belt of rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,566,961.78 of. 5,023.2 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $203.3 million. There are 14,584 nodes that we can see and 60,982 payment channels that we know about and over 80% of all of it's being run over Tor. And that's good news. As far as the mempool is concerned, as you might imagine, it's kind of packed and stacked. Uh, we're looking at 350 blocks carrying 223,000 transactions waiting to clear. Uh, let's see. Oh, 129 Satoshis per V-byte high priority transaction costs. 95 Satoshis per V-byte is low priority and anything under 11 and a half is being purged from mempools around the world. Mempool.space mining hash rate is listing 511 exahashes per second. We'll split the difference. Let's just call it 495 exahashes per second. Now for boostograms. Letter 6173 with 200,000 Satoshis. Thank you for trying. No, it didn't come through. And this is starting to bug me because I am routinely able to send 100,000, 150,000 Satoshi invoices to my Lightning node and have them clear within seconds. It's not my node. This has got to be something to do with, with my RSS feed that I've set up with podcasting 2.0, but it can only be set up one way. So I don't know what to tell you. I really don't. Um, I wish I had gotten the 200,000 from letter 6173, who says, thank you for the Bitcoin only pirate radio. Your voice is needed. However, I didn't get it. I'm sorry, letter, but at least I know that you didn't actually lose the 200,000 Satoshis. If you're in question about that, please go look at your wallet 
confirm that you still have those in there. Mr. Man with a thousand says the best way to grow your show is to go be interesting on other podcasts. <laughs> I'm going to go be interesting. Pies with 500 says LFG. God's death with 370 says, thank you, sir. Fuck taxes. Yeah, I agree. Pies with a hundred says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. That's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Um, so we just got this this market report that I just gave you, right? There's some context behind everything that's going on in the markets today, and Reuters is going to give it to you. Wall Street is subdued. Gold slides ahead of the CPI and the Fed. Okay, here we go. United States stocks were muted and gold slid on Wednesday as investors bided their time ahead of crucial inflation data and the United States Federal Reserve's monetary policy meeting. The three major U.S. stock indices were mixed with the Dow Jones edging higher and the Nasdaq nominally lower with the S&P essentially unchanged. Gold dropped to near a three-week low as the dollar firmed and treasury yields moved higher. Well, kind of, but then they kind of fell back down. On Tuesday, the Labor Department, okay, this is where it all, this is the meat and potatoes right here. On Tuesday, the Labor Department is expected to release its closely watched CPI report, the Consumer Price Index, which is expected to show inflation continues to cool, but remains well above the Fed's 2% annual target. Also on Tuesday, this is all happening tomorrow, guys. If you want to know what's going on with the markets and why people are freaking out, why the bear, why the bulls got their pants pulled down around their ankles on futures contracts, it all has everything to do with this because the legacy markets are doing sort of the same shit, right? They're either cool, they're not really moving up, all that. Everybody's biding their time. Crypto is the one, or Bitcoin is the one with the most volatility, so it's going to show the effects of this waiting game more than anything else. But they're waiting for the CPI report, and tomorrow the Federal Open Market Committee is due to convene for its two-day monetary policy meeting, which will culminate on Wednesday with its interest rate decision and the release of its summary economic projections. Quote, When something big is about to happen, usually nobody makes any big bats either direction. And that's what's happening today. Hatfield, a guy that they asked for a report from, uh, that's what, what he's saying about it. While the Fed is largely expected to let the Fed funds rate stand at 5.25 to 5.5%, market participants will parse the central bank's dot plot in order to assess the central bank's expected path forward. This is sort of where we are. This is the overarching context of the world's economy right now is that everybody's taking a breath because tomorrow the CPI numbers for the United States drop as well as the FOMC meeting for the Federal Reserve where they will determine and tell us whether or not they're going to raise interest rates, lower interest rates, or keep them the exact same way. What do I expect? I expect that they're going to keep them right here. That's what I expect them to do. So with that out of the way, let's get into this one. Let's see. Do I want to do this one? Hold on. I just want to check on something here. You know what? I am not going well. Eh. Nah. 
I'm going to do that one later. <clears throat> Not today, probably tomorrow. This is going to be a little bit shorter of a show. Now, going to No Bullshit Bitcoin, which is one of my favorite places in the world right now. Actually, it has been for quite a while, and I don't see it changing anytime soon. Really good, small digests of what's going on around the world in Bitcoin. Uh, and Noster, by the way. <clears throat> and it's nobsbitcoin.com. That's where you can go get it. Nobsbitcoin.com. Tether has frozen all OFAC sanctioned wallets in a proactive security measure. So censorship is alive and well with Tether. I told you we were going to talk about Tether again, and here it is. Not a good look. Tether has frozen coins held in crypto wallets that have been sanctioned by the United States Office of Foreign Asset Controls, the company announced. Quote, in its announcement, Tether framed the move as a voluntary step to proactively prevent any potential misuse of Tether tokens and enhance security measures and clarified that existing wallets on the OFAC list would be frozen along with any new wallets added in the future. All right, there's more to it, but I'm going to pause because there's something about this one sentence. Let me read it again. Tether framed the move as a voluntary step to proactively prevent any potential misuse of Tether tokens. You know what that is? Brand safety. That's marketing. This has nothing to do with OFAC. I'm sure they don't want to go to jail which is, you know, essentially what may actually happen if they don't do exactly what they're told by the long arm of United States regulators. But that sentence is a marketing sentence about brand safety. They don't care if anybody else is doing it. They just don't want the name Tether associated with any of these wallets that are on OFAC's blacklist. So are they an advertising company? Or are they trying to actually be part of the financial future of the world? I don't think they are. Now, I've never really had problems with Tether simply because I just don't use it. I kind of regard it as a shitcoin. However, I'm not stupid either. There's a lot of people that use a lot of Tether a lot of days of the last few years. Right? It's a it's clearly has a use case for millions of people. But they're they're completely kissing OFAC's ass. They're going to do exactly what they tell them to do. And they didn't even wait for the phone call or a cease and desist letter because their profits are going to be more important to them than quote unquote uncensorable monetary futures for the world. They don't fucking care. Who would have guessed? Quote, This strategic decision aligns with our unwavering commitment to maintaining the highest standards of safety for our global ecosystem and expanding our close working relationship with global law enforcement and regulators. By executing voluntary wallet address freezing of new additions to the SDN list and freezing previously added addresses, we will be able to further strengthen the positive usage of stablecoin technology and promote a safer stablecoin ecosystem for all users, stated Paolo Arduino, CEO of Tether, pausing again. I liked Paolo, but it is clear he is being subsumed in the financial legacy world. He used to be a, used to be a 
pretty staunch advocate for Freedom Tech. Not anymore, I guess. Not anymore. Just saying. Quote, while Tether has frozen funds related to unlawful activity several times in the past, the company has been reluctant to freeze wallets, which interacted with sanctioned protocol Tornado Cash, claiming it had not received any requests from the United States law enforcement to do so. Following this announcement, blockchain records show that Tether has blacklisted Tornado Cash's contract addresses according to the block. So they've blocked Tornado Cash. At this point, Tether is 100% completely, was completely contained by OFAC and whatever other world regulators that there are. Think FinCEN, uh, think those idiots out there in the UK. I mean, it's just a shit show. It's, it, there's, there's, no, there's no difference here between Palo Arduino, Tether, and the regulators that don't like the majority of humanity on the face of the planet, and they certainly don't want us to actually, you know, be successful, you know, gain traction in the world, have a future for ourselves and our family. They don't want that. They don't care. He's already got his money, I guess. So I hate to say it, but at this point, fuck Tether and Palo. I just, I, I just, I can't deal with these people anymore because they're just, it's like one, it's like watching one by one, your best friends that you grew up with and you knew that they were a certain way when you were growing up with them. And that's what, that's what attracted you to your friends, man. That was the, that was the shit when, when Joey said X or Y or Z or when Bobby went off and did this and that and the other, and it was all edgy and shit like that. And then you grow up and by the time you see them again after college, they're wearing a fucking suit and tie and kissing any ass that they can find. If it makes sure that they get ahead of you, because they don't give a shit about you anymore. Sad. It's sad to see. I hate it. Ledger ain't much different because Ledger live has been tracking and sending all user information to outsourced data harvesting services. No BSBitcoin.com to the rescue again. Quote, Ledger Live is phoning out data on assets that you hold in your hardware wallet the moment you access Ledger Live. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't even have to send a freaking transaction. The second you open this shit up, if somebody sent you something, to your ledger cold, you know, cold wallet address. Eh? The second that you hook that son of a bitch up into Ledger Live, it knows and it sends the data. It's also sending out tons of other info about your computer and device. Wrote Rect Builder over there on Twitter. Quote, I ran Ledger Live and opened the network tab just out of curiosity. And what I found was more than a little concerning. Ledger Live is a free and open source companion app for Ledger signing devices and quote, the application phones everything about your device and your funds, the money, the Bitcoin, the crypto to an outsourced endpoint and its address is api.segment.io forward slash v1 forward slash t. And that's not even a ledger endpoint. It's an outsourced company, ladies and gentlemen. Quote, as if it wasn't bad enough, the submitted payload also contains user ID and write key, which 
probably identifies your device uniquely along with tons of other data like device model, how much space you've used, your operating system version, and so on and so forth. Quote, the tracking code is too structural to just be counting users and downloads like regular apps do. Ledger Live is doing analytics on everything from screen views to button clicks, error events, installs, uninstalls, etc., etc., etc. It's basically tracking everything. Anything you do on that app gets tracked, he added. According to the post's author, Ledger Live started its intensive user tracking campaign with its version 1.2.0 release, which occurred December the 23rd, 2019. I still had Ledger Live usage around that time. That's how far back this shit goes. I haven't used a Ledger in years. And the last time that I used it was right around this time, 2019 Ladies and gentlemen, the very end of 2019. Apparently, that's when user tracking was switched to opt out instead of opt in by default for all new installations. Holy crap. Oh, let's see. Hold on. There's a a tweet here from December 7th, 2023 by BTC Sessions. And he's basically quote tweeting uh, the Rect Builder's tweet. He says, holy shit, if you have a ledger, you should at least stop using Ledger Live. Switch to Sparrow Wallet ASAP, then consider getting different hardware when you've got the funds. I wouldn't even trust that. I would definitely get the the other hardware, but I wouldn't just assume that because you're using Ledger with Sparrow, that somehow or another embedded in the firmware, in the Ledger, this is what I will assume. Embedded. This has nothing to do with Sparrow. Okay, the Sparrow guys are solid dudes. Uh, let's just get that shit straight right now. Inside the Ledger Live, I believe there is firmware that all that has to happen is it has a connection to the internet via the USB connection to no matter who's doing it. And somehow or another is able to open up a pipeline that bypasses any of Sparrow wallet, anything. Does I, I think it doesn't need to have Ledger Live. It just needs to be acting or reacting with something at all that, you know, like your computer via USB cable that somehow or another is tracking all this shit and just bypasses all that shit. That's what I would assume. Okay, just make that assumption that even if you use it with Sparrow Wallet, this is not going to save you. So the very last information that Ledger company should be able to access is when you're draining your funds off of the ledger created hardware wallet and putting it on something useful like a cold card wallet that you generated. I'm serious. Stop using ledger. These guys have never been able to secure data. They've acted in bad faith time and time and time again. This is just one of a, of a string of failures in the face of the Bitcoin ethos that Ledger, the guys over in France, have made because they don't give a shit. They wanted your $100. I don't know what it costs anymore. It used to cost, uh, I was picking them up for 100 bucks. I got three of these sons of bitches because the first two went kaput on a firmware update. Completely bricked. Completely bricked. 
sure, I was able to get my funds out because I, you know, saved the seeds, but I had to use Electrum Wallet to be able to do that. And I had to actually, you know, and I wanted to, you know, make sure that I did it the right way. So I collected, uh, uh, connected my Electrum Wallet to my own Electrum server that I'm running on my Bitcoin full node. That's one of the reasons why you run a Bitcoin full node so that only you can do this shit. And if it hadn't have been for that, I might've very well lost my Bitcoin because the son of a bitch bricked up on me during a firmware update. And that's one of the reasons why I like cold cards because they don't do that shit. You can get a, you can get like, if you spun up a, a, a hardware wallet, you know, with a, with a version one cold card, you can still use it. It doesn't need, I mean, sure, it might, It they might have said, hey, we got a firmware update, but you kind of don't need it. And that's one of the reasons why I, this is man in the coma insurance. So that if you get into a coma, 20 years, you wake up, your hardware wallet, if it's a cold card, is probably still going to be just fine without firmware updates, without, you know, having to attach to, you know, Novak's special brand, special sauce of, you know, private server or something like that. And he doesn't run one anyway, because he's a, he's a security freak. No, man, all this shit, it's all bullshit. You know, Ledger's email leak alone should have been bad enough. And yet people still, I would go, Ledger's best, man. I'm using it for multi-sig. Now, shit, you can't even do that. You can't even use it. You can't even use a ledger at this point for a, a two, like it, one of your two of three multi-sig setup. I wouldn't have this piece of hardware plugged in to anything unless I was shoving it directly into a fucking 440 volt transformer to fry the living shit out of it. This thing sucks. It sucks. Don't use it. Stop using all ledger products and don't ever look back. Now, before we end the show, we got to do a joke. I haven't done one in a while. Dad says jokes. What's the lion and witch doing in your wardrobe, Dad? It's Narnia business. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. Almost a full hour today for this Monday, a Bitcoin death day number, what, 487? And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.